0: Well, I think we'll get started. It's after nine, and we've got a lot of stuff to go yes. through. And others can come if they come. Uh, Announcement needs to be made. Uh, we won't have a class next Sunday. Okay. I have a family reunion yes. I'm on my wife's side. Not because I <laughs> have to go, but I have to go. My wife said I have to go. <laughs> so we won't have that next Sunday. But I would encourage you to take a look at Romans chapter 6. We will just briefly introduce it if we have time and go on from there. Seven, six, seven, 6, 7 and 8, uh, actually 6 is introduced by the last part of chapter 5. But today we're in chapter 5, probably the most difficult of the passages that we have studied. Most controversial. So I'm going to say things, you do not need to agree with what I'm saying, okay? You may do what you like about it and struggle with it. Uh, one of you brought up an interesting question last uh, today that we have to deal with. Uh, let's pray. Lord, I ask for your guidance and your wisdom as we study your word, that we may have insight from the Holy Spirit, and that we may rightly interpret the word of truth. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I am... Uh, Set a tentative outline here. I want to begin. Really, I normally start here, but I'm going to do this blessings of justification in verses 1 through 11. And uh, we'll do that together. Take a look in your Bibles, if you would please, in uh, Romans chapter 1 down through chapter 11. I mean, verse 11. What do you see as any blessings that we have? therefore since we have been justified through faith okay justification is a blessing certainly but what's the blessings having had received now there's a a technical question here that I don't want to deal with but other to introduce you to the technical question here is simply your English says therefore since we have been justified through faith and this have here has raised questions we have which makes it very positive and I'll give you some words that you don't need to know this word Echoman means we have but some of the earliest manuscripts of this word has the same word but now they have a long O and a lot of people argue because of this this is probably a, a uh, in my opinion, a hortatory subjunctive, which means nothing to you. <laughs> but that, that's a word that says, and you would then translate, since we have it, that we have it, but this changes it. This would have to say, let us have. It's sort of like when the pastor says, let us pray. Bow your heads. It's not, it's not a strict command. I told you guys in the back row to bow your heads. You know, it's, not, it's an invitation is what that word is. So let us have... While well, this has the strongest meaning, and I, I'm not sure I need to raise this for you. It still has meaning. Since you have justification, start entering into this, what? This peace that you have through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just... So justification. We have to since you have justification, or since it is there, and is certainly a blessing. What else do you have from this system? As, as you read down through this. Peace. Peace, alright? What else do you have? Grace. grace. We have grace and hope. Anything else? Hope. Hope. Yeah. No? anything else glory of God pardon glory of God glory of God okay perseverance you know some would consider that a blessing but it is well we'll have to take a serious look at that but there's one that I think we might be missing what about verse 2 with grace what have we gained how about access, access. into access. this space if yeah, we have access, access. And, then, and then you have the object of access there. Hmm. but it's the access so these are the benefits of justification I don't want to spend a lot of time on this but I thought it was important just to look at these because this section has caused so much stuff we've had to struggle with Peace here is not just the tranquility of the mind, but it's in your relationship with God, you have this inner peace that God gives you through His Holy Spirit. And that's why I take this other one to have meant, know, let us have it. Grab a hold of it, folks. It's there. Ephesians 2. Christ is our peace. Hebrews, our high priest, stands before God as a merciful understanding. You have peace with God. But we don't always do it. But he's urging you. That's why I take this as a hortatory subjunctive here, which means, come on, folks. Grab a hold of this peace, which is yours. So peace is one of the benefits we have. And of course, this piece has its foundation in the redemptive and work of Christ and in justification. That is, his piece is coordinated with justification here. We can't separate that. That justification brought that. The second one I see here, as we have mentioned, is access. We have access by faith into this grace. It goes back to the piece. Access is not simply an introduction. Let me introduce you to God. It's more than that. It is free entrance, probably positive, into the sanctuary, the inner sanctuary where God's presence dwells. You have this access. You don't have to worry about it. It's there. It's yours. It's been produced. And again, here is unhindered access, says Ritterboss, into the sanctuary of God. It's a privilege. It's a free entrance. Come at any time, It's the way I would put it. Somebody comes and visits you, and well, we've got to get going. Well, come back anytime you're free. You're free to come anytime you like. Don't worry about it. Just knock on the door and walk in. That's quite a privilege. Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So, grace here probably has still the same meaning. I'll just give you one idea grace is God's attitude of acceptance as a permanent outlook and status in which we now exist through Christ. Christ always looks upon us as the children of God. We were once orphans, now we have full access as children into the grace of God. So these are blessings of justification. What is interesting about this grace is I'll give you another technical thing about grace. This grace in its tense in the Greek text is a perfect tense. Now, Tense is not time in Greek. It's not past, present, future. It's the kind of action of the verb. So, if you have just a regular ongoing present tense, it means something's going on or continually going on. In the aorist tense, it's something happens as a fact. The perfect tense is most interesting. It's a fact that continues on. So, you have grace and it's still there and it's going on and it's always available to you. That's the benefit. You belong to Christ through justification. You have this peace. You have this access into this grace. And then also we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Well, this word rejoice is not intended to be a doxology or simple praise. It's almost to exalt is the deeper meaning in the glory of God it sort of works this verse in the context of the present and the tension and the future that we run into with this hope is an indispensable dimension of being alive we can't live without hope it is the energizing Source of being alive you do hope in so many ways and we hope in the glory of God glory here is an interesting word glory comes about in connection with also a Hebrew word for glory it is used in the Old Testament almost as an expression of the deity of Christ and God glory is here we have hope in the full manifestation and people will see there is no way of not knowing who he is the glory of God will be manifest I've been doing some study in the book of Revelation when God's glory and power against sin will be manifested in many kinds of metaphors and a lot of rhetoric <laughs> And drawing from historical things that that the people would know. We rejoice and we wait for the glory of God. In hope, we see this too. In hope dominates uh, what he says in Romans 15: May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The world gets bad. I've got hope that God will appear and things will be made right. (laughs) Right now, I'm not there. So we we struggled there. Okay, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, the next one that I found creates a paradox for me, and I don't know about you. But this one stresses with... I just jotted some stuff in something. We rejoice in verse three in the benefits of suffering. In verse three, and then they, he goes on to list how that works. And we hope in the we boast in the hope of the glory of God, and then the next verse three. But not only so, in other words, not just this, but also we glory in our sufferings. Well, is the Bible masochistic, Lord? Give me a really bad one so that I can really start the glory. <laughs> well, that certainly isn't the meaning of this text. Kaysamon, uh, the Old Testament scholar, said God's triumphant glory can be extolled in hope only when we suffer, only when suffering can be extolled as the sphere in which God's grace and power are manifested. Amen. It's almost like the text in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says, I boast in the glory of God because of my weaknesses when I am weak, he is strong. That seems to be the meaning for Paul here. That I rejoice in these because of the manifestation of God's grace and power in me. So the context here is, again, the present I'm suffering, but I look toward the future of hope. They're all kind of connected for him. And finally... The love, the love of God is poured into our hearts that is we can hope and not be ashamed because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit what do you think that means? any thoughts? like it kind of ties into the uh, if you read in Ephesians first chapter he talks about there
1: the Holy Spirit being the seal of the, the pledge of our inheritance that right. God is going to come back for us that exactly. is guaranteed. The Holy Spirit is guaranteed.
0: Well, one thing that is interesting that we need to keep clear, it seems to me, about the love of God, is that God's love is not simply an act that he does sometimes and then doesn't do. It is the very nature of God. God can no longer be loving than he can be a Trinitarian being. It's the essential nature of God. Sometimes we've got to spend a lot of time thinking about that. It's the motivation. Love is the motivation and directing force for me of all of God's actions. It's there, and it reaches out to you, Paul. You have access into that love. You have access into it by faith. It is a part of the hope in which you, you and I live. And uh, only in Jesus Christ, I wrote the beloved son, do we come to know and understand something of the love of God that, pers- that passes all knowledge It is love is the ultimate ontological or ground why nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and so, these are the blessings, so I just touched on them the blessings of justification uh, Paul starts them off that way you now belong to God And because you belong to him, these things are are not just things that you happen to get. It is essential that this is what you have as a believer in Christ. Now we get to the tough part. I don't know if that's the correct word, at least the complex. The nature and function... These should probably be separated, but I haven't done that. The nature and function of sin... And we have to ask ourselves, what is sin? Now, I thought at some point I gave you a list of definitions, but in, the first, in, the packet. in the packet from yesterday, it's not in this one, right? For today. It's in the one for today. Mm-hmm. Third, Page three. Thank you. Oh, one. That one's in for the yeah. yeah, I should have put those different. Page three. No, I don't see. It. Okay. Oh, that's all right. You anyway, we can. Whatever you want. No, that's all right. I know what they are. Let's take our first page. We can do this through terms where it says uh, New Testament terms and sin. Take a look at them there, and we can we can do the same thing through this. Uh, I don't want this. Let me take this. The most dominant term for sin is this first one. It's pronounced hamartia. It's, it means actually for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You have it here. You have it all through the New Testament. This is a, the dominant by far word that is used. And here I just gave a quick statement. Sin is to miss the standard which is fixed by God. So we could say that sin is first and foremost at least from from one point of view sin is a failure. And you see this in the writings of John Calvin as well and many many others. Sin is a conscious or sin is a lack of conformity to the will of God whether actively or passively. Is John Cowan's statement. So sin can be seen as a failure of some kind. That's one way we can see sin. In its essence, is a failure. <clears throat> Let's look at this. These other words are just inc- incidental acts that come. Disobedience. Parakoye. It literally means the basic word is to hear. And then you put another little thing on it in the Greek language. And it means not to listen so I just said sin is a failure to hear which results in disobedience then there's the common coming more Old Testament orientation it's lawlessness nomia is the word for law the little a in front of it means no sin is to act contrary to God's law transgression well you know that if you go hunting and there's a sign there that says do not trespass it means don't go over that it means sin is a violation of God's law trespass is very similar sin is a deviation from truth or unrighteousness adikia is unrighteousness sin is doing what is wrong so this is what we have this is definition. sin is a failure sin is a, an act Of disobedience. All of these can come close to failure. That's why failure has often been a basic way in which people have looked at, looked at sin. I'd like to do some one other thing here. I put in, I want to share something of my own perspective here, along with Mary Gray. Mary Gray wrote a wonderful article, and I think she's right and let me spend a little bit of time here I argue that sin is the displacement of God's right to be God that results in distortion both of creation and of the human personhood or in this sense I want to say that faith is and here failure comes in but just to put it as an act of distrust let me tell you why I hold this you don't have to agree with me but I'll tell you why anyway. you're kind of stuck here so. (laughs) God is the source and creator of all things that initially came into being we do not know God unless God shares with us we is. We cannot find out the inner workings of God. People often say I see God in creation, and you might, but if creation doesn't tell you that God loves you. If I'm out in a boat that's you know, flashing around on the sea, nature doesn't say, Well, I'm sorry, we'll help you out. Or if it doesn't go well, we've got eternity. So God creates the world. And human persons. Now, I look at sin, there are two basic contexts to look at sin. One is law, that's normally the way we look at it, and the other is in terms of relationship. It is my view, leaving creation for a moment, but creation is also an act of God's love, when he created the world to function as it does. If I were a scientist I could really tell you more about that. The intricacy, the rational intricacy and harmony of all things that in the world seem to work together. And obviously if I know God I can see it more clearly. (laughs) But relationship. Now I'll pick this up again. God told them not to eat of the tree. To me this is the foundation, is this a command or is this a law or is this supporting or creating the relationship that humanity has with God? I'm saying that's its purpose. God wants to see if they will believe or trust in him because the day you eat thereof is terrible. Now, I have an argument with a person on this. Wasn't evil always in the world? So if it's always been in the world. Didn't God create evil? I said, no, God does not create evil. Boy, I can read it. John, in him is no darkness at all. He has not sinned, so forth. So, this for me. Now, here you may do what you like. But I think this is safe. trust me, you guys. If you trust me and do what I say, you will then have life in perpetuity. It will continue to grow. Everything I created is yours. But now enters, this is the promise of God. If you do it, there is a great promise of God. But now comes an alternative promise. The evil one. It says, that I want you to know God's really lying to you. Because <laughs> the day you eat, you will not die. In fact, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, if they obey, I mean disobey, fail to trust. No, I can really be great. Therefore, one of the primary sin is selfishness now it comes into the world. Sin is selfishness. Choosing myself and what I want over the supreme place that belongs to God. Anything that you put in the place that belongs to God becomes sin too for Him. So I see that this is what happens. They believe now this relationship of trust has been severed. They do not have a source of life, they're in trouble. And so from then on, humanity has a problem. They are lost from the source of God and so forth. And so I want to say that sin is first of all, or one of the things I think about that marks sin for me is this whole uh, level of displacement of God as the sovereign Lord and creator. It is placing something else in the supreme place that belongs only to God. Such as selfishness, sensuality, failure to listen to God, and so on and so forth, Mary Gray adds this: sin is the structural decreation, the structural unmaking of the world as God intended it to be. So what Satan wants to do is God made this human persons and this creation to function in a way that pleased God.. <coughs> I know, but I want to get to that yet. Uh, and so, I see sin as covering those two things, and we're stuck in it. And there's no resource in us by which you can get it done unless God Himself acts. So. I have a question. Sure. Okay, so when Lucifer fell from mm-hmm.
1: heaven, mm-hmm. God knew. He had to know mm-hmm. that. I just have this kind of like internal question about it's like,
0: okay,
1: I know he doesn't create evil, mm-hmm. but he knew
0: it existed. Yeah, I would say the, knowing that something exists doesn't necessarily mean that I have a source of why it exists, though. So. But I, I'm not sure I have an answer so for that. So,
1: my question is, like, it seems like the plan, it's like the plan of Christ was embedded in him at creation Mm -hmm. and so it's like it seems to me like there's like there is a purpose there is a purpose
0: for like for the existence of evil and because so we need him and I'm wondering like if
1: Adam and Eve had this eternal bliss and had you know like and there was never a struggle I mean of course they love God they they have a perfect relationship with him and life is awesome and beautiful and good but I kind of sometimes think you know like if we always have everything perfect and beautiful and good then do we really um, know what it is? Do Do we know what
0: it is for someone to love us too in the midst of all of that and care for us? Yeah. That's a good question.
1: So it's like his original intent I think, I don't know
0: yeah. Like, the question of, of evil is probably one of the most difficult questions we as Christians face uh, there are so many ans- places that any answer I give is- doesn't always seem to be as nice as I'd like it to be but I guess I'm thinking that the source of sin I mean the source of sin and evil the question of Satan comes in and I'm not sure I can answer your question here But the source of sin and evil finds not in God so much as in the first act of disobedience. Now evil comes into the world. It was not there. Adam and Eve, for me, had no knowledge of sin, had no temptation prior to this time. It's like saying, if there was no light, the darkness exists. Put it in a kind of a symbolic way. Um,
1: If there was no light then darkness wouldn't exist? I mean, what did you, I didn't understand.
0: What yeah, happened. is darkness there because there's light? If I come home and my room is dark, if I turn on the light, where does darkness go? Well, put it in a philosophical sense, uh, is darkness had an entity in and of itself? It could always exist. Life dispenses with If Adam and Eve are living in a state of pure life and presence, where is darkness? I often think of comments in the New Testament where people at the end will be cast into darkness. I know that physicists today are struggling with what is darkness in space between all the planets. What if is it something or black holes in our universe? They don't know what darkness really is. And I don't either. <laughs> I, I think about this a lot, your I question.
1: I think it's being separated from God. Yeah. And
0: not having... Yeah, if you put, it in, yeah, if you put it in that context, mm-hmm. yes, it is. It's separated from life and life and life. Yeah. I always think of darkness as being the absence of light. I think that kind of... That's a definition that many early philosophers had too. Light is the absence, of, the darkness is the absence of light. Okay. All right.
1: So, I'm not.
0: I... No, no, it's a good it's question. She okay did not have an answer to that. I mean, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you. But if you have a question, sir. God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we're good sinners, Christ died for us. So, give Satan that uh, falling away he got the ability to show us how much he loves us uh, uh, here, that we can understand so let me rephrase and see if I'm right, right. Demonstration. yeah it's, evil exists for the demonstration of God's love for us and for the creation yes so we can know how much he loves us mm-hmm. and you can fit with that it seems to me Christ slain from the foundation of the world too mm-hmm. Well, good question. No, I appreciate it. There are a lot of questions we have to come to. So, anyway, now we have to come to the imputation of Adam's sin. Now we come essentially into the latter parts of Romans 12 through really to 19, rather, 21. Adam's sin. Now, what is the relationship? Imputation, do you know this word? imputation probably mostly imputation means to impose guilt upon you you come and bad illustration, you've had a hundred tickets and you stand before the magistrate the judge and he says you're guilty and I'm going to put it on the records it's there on the records, you are guilty, so <clears throat> imputation means to place or to put on someone's record grace I mean Guilt. And this includes in Paul the relationship between the one and the many. So we ask, when is guilt imputed on you? Here's where we have some controversy, too. There are two dominant views. Immediate imputation has been held within the evangelical church since the Reformation. <laughs> it means you are immediately guilty. In other words, you are a sinner. Because of the one man's disobedience, many are sinners. So, are you saying at conception? Yes. Okay. Lutherans, not Baptists, but Reformed Church, Roman Catholic Church, all hold this view. That. We are guilty. Now, it raises questions, okay? So I think this is a tough, tough start. So it's immediate. So I think you have a sheet somewhere in there which says Original Sin, Imputation of Adam's Sins. Is, is that the second page? No. Yeah. Third, Third page. And I put the issue here in a question. How can all persons be held guilty for the sinful act of the one man Adam? Or stated differently, is it biblically correct and logically plausible to claim that all persons are guilty sins as a consequence of the one of Adam's one act of disobedience? Alright, when am I guilty? Well, this view says immediately. Immediate imputation means all persons possess a sinful guilty human nature upon birth as the consequence of solidarity between Adam and all persons. This is the view. Now, I have a hard time keeping all of these in, the ones that I give you. you, Do you have the one that says immediate imputation? That's a kind of a summary of this view. Through the one man Adam, sin and death came into the world. Verse 12 of Romans 5. Do you have that four or five little points there? Therefore, death has come upon all persons. And this is the key phrase of controversy, because all have sinned. Sin is universal because physical death is universal. Four, union with our representative head implies the consequences of the action of that representative of head of all of our persons. Are we together or no? Well, that's all right. This is just a summary. Uh, I hope you have other argument. There is, therefore, immediate imputation of Adam's one act of disobedience to the many, as there is likewise an immediate imputation of Christ's act of righteousness to those united with him through faith. Okay? I just want to present it to you. This is hell. What you get from Adam, according to this view, is you immediately have a guilty, corrupt human nature. And this is usually so, uh, put together quickly, human nature, with one phrase. Sinful nature. Now, if I'm a Lutheran, and I believe this, what do I do if i have a child and the child dies? Where is my security? You baptize the child. You baptize the child for original sin. Now, if you really understand, I'm more familiar with the Lutheran view because that's where I went to some some school. But that is, on the basis of the faith of bringing the child, God accepts the child to be free from the judgment of sinful nature. As evangelicals, what do we do? Yeah, you dedicate them. That, that's a little thing that runs out of this down through the history of the church. But, it's, but we make very clear this is not for salvation. So I'm just letting you know where it stands on this issue here and so that you would know how this goes okay. so are you saying that the Lutherans baptized mm-hmm. to uh, basically display uh, say, uh, salvation yes okay. well and also it's in terms you belong to the church in Roman Catholic especially if you belong to the church now. And the church is the citadel of salvation. Did
1: they really say they belong
0: to the church for baptism or is that like first communion or something? No. Well communion I don't know. In Roman Catholic Church salvation is always an act of grace. Maybe I can say something about this. I was gonna say something about this last time. Grace is the power of God's love that motivates and moves us to loving actions. Now there are three levels. There's, let's see if my memory can keep this. That's why I use a note. <laughs> but there's providential grace, Oscar. Providential grace is the grace that God works on you until you your will it's willing to respond to God. And then there's active grace, and then finally there's habitual grace. In other words, sin is a failure to love God and your neighbor as God intends. That's their definition. It is worked out more systematically than that, but basically that's what it is. Yes. And so as I live my life, and this is where this is where the concept of merit. Came in back in the early, earlier periods of the 16th century. Merit. There's several kinds of merit. There's, and my memory is getting bad. There were as much. There are two kinds of merit. There's merit in the good act just because it's a good act, and then there's merit of acts that are loving and good that are pleasing to God. Those are the ones that are important. And therefore, priests will want one to make sure and tell me these are. So you have a law base. So you need to do these acts of love and God's love comes to you until that time when love dominates you, then you're assured of eternal life. That's why you work so hard at it. Anyway, that's, that's Roman Catholic, summary of Roman Catholic, very quickly, but there's a lot more to it than that. But... Okay. Hmm. Most of us as evangelicals have the belief that you and I have a sinful nature, and that sinful nature comes at birth. Now, the reason for that is down here when I ask, what is the relationship between the one and the many that causes this? There are several relationship ideas, but the most dominant one for us is Adam is the representative head. Of the human race. What am I spelling? Is the idea of headship? So there is a biological connection between the one and all. Since Adam was the first human being, and Adam's nature is sinful, one his nature passes on to all of us is that sinful nature. That's the view. Representative is a biological headship. So if I am from Adam's nature, would I get but I didn't want to raise this. So this is the question, a problem that we face with the media. You may do what you like. Is What about children? So that raises this question. We have not provided a really strong statement of that within our Evangelical Church. We just say, well, they're too young, they've never done anything wrong, something like that. But the argument of the, of the immediate is, well, whether they've done anything or not, they're guilty. Remember Calvin and Augustine, apparently sin. Sin is a non-conformity to the law of God. They're not doing it. Even if they couldn't do it, does that somehow give them a pass? Some theologian. Milton Erickson, in his book, says, yeah. Because he would say they have to be consciously communicate if not God allows them to go to heaven. But it can be broadened out to, what about young people who are seriously mentally handicapped in some way? They wouldn't understand even the message of salvation. They're too young to do so. So this is a problem that the media faces. Mediated. Do you have the mediated? Yes. Okay. Mediated imputation. I had it too once. <laughs> well, you. me. Yeah, this is it. That guilt for sin is imputed on the basis of an individual's act of sin. In other words, God will give to each, based upon this scripture, God will give to each person according to what he, she, her has done. And then I put here several passages are along the same line in Romans 14, Romans 2, Hebrews, when his righteous judgment will be revealed in Romans 2, God will give to each person according to what he's done. Now, the problem we face is, how can that be? Coordinated with someone who's a sinner or has a sinful nature at birth. What do you do? Well, we've to struggle with it. So there are some problems, though. There's a lot of support for this. Let me give you support for this. Yes, immediately.
1: time. Did
0: you want to talk about the modified No, not yet. I, uh... Well, take a look at the a strength for the immediate view in the Romans. Take a look at Romans' passages. From the all to the many. This is part, I mean, you can see this in the writings of John Calvin, Augustine, R.C. Sproul, and a host of other people, Home to the immediate view. In Romans 5, 12, from the one man therefore through one man sin came into the world the one and the many and 15 just as sin entered the world through the one man and death through sin and this way death came upon all people because all have sinned so upon Adam's disobedience of the one man sin has come into the world I sin that's for all people then take a look at 5.18. Therefore, through one man, in verse 18, if my memory correct. Something 18. 19, well, 18. Consequently, just as one man's trespass had resulted in condemnation for all. So we're all under guilt. Condemnation. And then verse 19, because of the one man, all are constituted as sinners. So as an immediate result of what this man did, this is the consequence on the many. And this is the support for immediate imputation. Immediate imputation is I'm not guilty till I consciously commit my first act of sin. If I didn't know that it would say, probably it's not. But that's what this view would argue at this point. So you might have, so through the one man, I I want to argue a point with you, or I shouldn't say argue it, I would like to present to you an idea. that the consequence of Adam's sin is more dominantly found in death. The wages of sin is death. Therefore, through what man sin came into the world, and through sin came death. Therefore, and most people, going back to... Uh, Augustine, who is not very good at Greek, because all have sinned. The end of verse 15. This word "because" is a, is a problem that people face. How did I sin? Well, you sin because Adam gave it to the and therefore we translate this as I'll give you the Greek word. You don't need to know these. F. F-E. 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 This is the actual phrase. This is epi. Because. Actually this. Oh, there's another word in here too. Epi. Upon whom all have sinned. Therefore. This translation came from Augustine and it's then followed through into the Reformation. Because all of sin, I text. I want to argue that these two little words here, write them a little clearer. These two words mean, have an antecedent and the closest antecedent of verse 12 is death. So therefore, what Adam brought into the world was death. And death corrupts, distorts both the created world and the human person. Another problem I face with the media and with the use of sinful nature, I think the concept is true, but I don't think the translation has too many problems. If I have a sinful nature and God says, now I challenge you, you must live a holy life of da-da-da-da. How can I live it if I have a sinful nature? It won't permit me to do it. Since my whole academic was on the area of sanctification, spirituality. How can I help people to live godly, holy lives if this exists? If it is death, and death corrupts, what does it corrupt? So for me, the sinful nature... I'll quit after this. The simple nature I now translate as a dysfunctional, I'm running out of juice here, is the dysfunction of the human spirit. The human spirit for me is the core of human personhood. Let me summarize this. Yeah, I know, but I'll just put it out there. Yeah, I yeah, did. Yeah. But it'll come up. You
1: don't see it, That's It might be I'll get my tea, which is very important.
0: Well, I have a copy, but I'll give you another one. I mean I'll look at this. At the very back. It says, a concluding proposal. Yeah,
1: it's...
0: This book here, you don't need to buy this, okay? <clears throat> but I propose several premises on, on this book. And a lot of what I say is in, contained in this little book here, uh, especially in the consequences of sin is death. And I put in the front all of these. Let me, you can, do you have this? Mm-hmm. Let's just go through it. You do not have to agree with this, all right? This is my, was the Alexandrian theology. Number one, the ultimate goal of